Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my guest for episode 17 is a man whose Trojan roots run multiple generations. He was a team captain and tailback for the 2000 USC football squad, leading the team in scoring that season with eight touchdowns, and is now a well-known broadcaster both locally in Los Angeles as co-host of NBC4's The Challenge with Fred Rogan following Sunday Night Football, and on radio with the Petros and Money Show on KLAC 570 AM, as well as nationally as a college football analyst for Fox Sports, Petros Papadakis. Petros, thanks for joining me on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. How are you? It's nice to be on. It's great to have you on. Great to have a fellow Trojan on, and we will talk a lot about the Trojan football team today. And of course, if you enjoy the Everything USC podcast, you can subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter. I am at Nara Wang Sports. That's N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Petros, let the people out there know how they can reach out to you. Oh, if they want to, they can find me. Otherwise, I have enough followers. I despise the ones I have already. <laughs> <laughs> The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The football season is in full swing, and while you might not be at the games this year, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Do you think the Jets will go 0 16? Are the Bengals or Jaguars winning another game this season? If you feel you know the answers, those are just some of the things you can bet on at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there is always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. With a forced week off due to the cancellation of the game versus Colorado, after four players ended up testing positive for the coronavirus and seven others were forced to quarantine through contact tracing, USC football returns to action on Sunday, that's right, Sunday, against the Washington State Cougars, who have been off for two straight weeks themselves as a result of having 12 players in COVID-19 protocol. As usual, when the Trojans don't play, they move up in the AP and coaches' polls, coming in at 17th and 16th respectively, but the College Football Playoff Committee dropped SC two spots to number 20. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, but that's 2020 for you and trying to play games during a pandemic. Before we preview the matchup with Wazoo Petros, I want to get your impressions on USC up to this point. How do you think it's going for the Trojans, and how does it compare with the expectations you had coming into the season? Well... 
they don't seem too different of a football team than I expected coming into the season. I think there is a little bit of new life in the defense with Todd Orlando. And obviously they have really good players and they understand what their jobs are offensively. And that's what I hear opposing coaches say. But for me overall, my impressions are, I mean, at the end of the day, you are who your record says you are and they're undefeated. Now there's a couple tip balls there away from not being that. And of course, once USC loses a game, it's interesting, you know, with this schedule, if USC loses or is losing in a game, they are derided and killed on Twitter and people like me throw up their hands and say, I told you so. And they turn around and find a way to win those games and everybody starts talking about the playoff. It's really a uh, push and pull situation. But overall, they look a lot like I thought they'd look. They're turnover, mistake prone offensively because of the scheme that they run. And defensively, they have some good life and a, a great emotional leader in Tui Pelotu. And beyond that, you know, every game's going to be a interesting battle. I don't think there's anybody that they can just boat race other than on paper. Yeah, USC is a team that looks great on paper, but when you watch them play, you're just immensely frustrated as a USC fan or alum <laughs> most of the time. And I think you're exactly right with the fact that SC is always going to make it a game no matter who they're playing. So how do you think this Colorado game cancellation affects the team going forward, or does it at all? Well, I think it helps them, to be honest, because I don't think Colorado is scared of USC. I don't think anybody's actually afraid of USC. I mean, we both saw Arizona State and Arizona take a lead in the fourth quarter against USC. And I'm not saying USC shouldn't be in a battle against teams like that. And it's conference games and they're hard. And as John McKay said, those teams have players and coaches too. But at the same time, Arizona, you saw what they looked like against UCLA and against Washington. We haven't seen Arizona State play since the USC game. I think they're pretty good. Utah, you saw the issues they were having offensively and with their quarterback, and that's probably going to be their issue all year long. So we'd have a different story to tell if USC had played Alabama and Notre Dame and Washington and teams like that to this point. But the season is what the season is, and not facing Colorado probably helped tell their story of, hey, look at where we are in the polls, as opposed to, okay, is USC losing games, and what does that mean for the future for Clay Helton? And we are going to get to a little bit of that Clay Helton talk in just a little bit, but I want to basically get the confirmation from you. There's no chance USC is going to the college football playoff, even if they do run the table, because with that lost game, with Oregon losing in the North, and it was set up to have an undefeated Oregon play an undefeated USC in the Pac-12 title game, and maybe a 7-0 and Pac-12 team can sneak in. But there's no chance of that now, right? There's no chance for any Pac-12 team. And there was never any chance for any Pac-12 team before Oregon lost or USC won or Washington won or any games were canceled. There was no chance for the Pac-12 when they decided to play much later than everybody else. The only team that has a chance in the Big Ten amongst those 
kinds of teams. They all started late is Ohio State. And that's simply because of history. And it's bias and dumb, kind of like you mentioned in the intro. This year is kind of a lot of that. But really, Ohio State, we've seen them in the past. We've seen their history. We've seen what they look like in the college football playoff. They can compete. I think voters in this situation understand that. It's a lot like the Heisman voting. It's super lopsided and weird. So I don't think the Pac-12 or really anybody in the Big Ten other than Ohio State has a chance to get in the college football playoff. I don't really think it matters at the end of the day. I think really we just needed to play college football. We needed to get the guys out there and let them perform, whether they were going to move on to the next level, going to move on with their lives, continue to develop as football players for next year. Whether it was right or wrong or whatever you believe in, you know, once the ACC, the American, the SEC, and the Big 12 decided to play and the Pac-12 and the Big 10 didn't, we were behind the eight ball for months on the West Coast. And we're not going to get ahead of it. It doesn't matter. It, would, it doesn't even matter if USC looked like the USC's of the past suddenly this year, because in the last decade, they haven't performed at a national level to where they'd be talked about with an Ohio State, and we'd be worried about where their ranking is with games canceled. I really honestly don't think it ever mattered in the first place. I love that Pac-12 football is back. I love seeing those brands on the field, but I don't think there's a college football playoff conversation to be had this year. I agree with that, but if the Trojans somehow do win out and they are the Pac-12 champion, they would go to a New Year's Six bowl game. So sure, if you believe that they can do that, first of all, what are your chances do you think that SC does do that? And if they do, how should fans feel about that season if they run the table, go undefeated, go to a New Year's Six bowl game? Probably good. I imagine people would feel about it. I mean, there's a lot of USC people that don't like the way they quote-unquote skin the cat or go about it especially offensively because of who they can recruit and the type of offense they sort of run. That's an evolving situation, but I think people would feel good about it because if you do win the Pac-12 championship and run the table, that means you did face Washington or Oregon. But I happen to think Washington, if their offense continues to develop, is the best team in the conference right now because of the way their defense plays and their defense I think frankly stacks up really well against USC and and what USC does Jimmy Lake has been very successful against that even though Graham Harrell's air raid is a lot different than Mike Leach's air raid there's four NFL running backs in the backfield you could argue with USC and they have some H-back stuff and the one thing they don't do is they just don't leave backs in to protect or anybody really so any extra rushers are on Slovis, and that's why so many guys got knocked out of so many games last year. And it hasn't happened this year yet, but it will be interesting to see you know, how they go through this season. If they play against a team like Washington, they're going to get after that quarterback, and they're going to yeah. cover on the back with guys like McDuffie and Molden. So if they go undefeated and beat Washington in the Pac-12 championship game and will go to whatever bowl, is going to play, I'd imagine, probably in the South. That's great to see, A long-term fix for the program. Would people feel great about the program going forward under the current regime? I'm not so sure 
about that. But yeah, look, USC can always win football games every year because of their personnel. Like whenever we meet with coaches from other programs, they say the same thing. They'd flip rosters with USC in a heartbeat, you know, even with that one really bad recruiting year that insiders like you guys talk about a whole bunch. I mean, USC has great personnel. The issue has been, you can argue, that that personnel hasn't really been developed very well over the last, I don't know, five or six, seven years. And you look at this roster, though, and you start to see some guys that, you know, kind of have developed. Drake Jackson is going to be a draft pick. Tui Pelotu is a big-time player for them. He's a kind of straw that stirs the drink guy. Both safeties are going to be big-time ballers. I mean, the running backs are great. Obviously, the wide receivers, Vera Tucker, is going to be a draft pick. I mean, they look to be building personnel-wise again, but does that translate into being able to – I mean, the real question is, does USC compete with Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama – Texas, you know, what maybe, you know, Oklahoma, whenever they get on the field with teams like that, almost including Notre Dame, you know, they get pushed off the ball significantly. And that's a problem. And you can have all the draft picks and Pac-12 wins you want, but if USC isn't competing at a national level, it really hurts the conference and frankly, the school. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It has been an interesting decade. Yeah, and I've always said SC's always had plenty of talent and they just haven't done enough with it, which brings us to Clay Helton. Now, I run on Twitter after every game a Helton hot seat scale poll where I ask the fans to give me their opinion on how hot the seat is for Clay Helton based on four chili peppers, the Carolina Reaper, the Ghost Pepper, the Habanero, and Cayenne. Of Mm. course, Carolina Reaper is the hottest of those and it goes in descending order. In the last game after the Utah win, it was 12.5% for Carolina Reaper, 50% Ghost Pepper, 25% Habanero, and 12.5% Cayenne. The first two games, it was Carolina Reaper with the (laughs) lead. So I think you can tell that the fans' opinions, despite what's going on with a 3-0 record, they still feel that a coaching change should probably be in order, but it's not going to happen this year with the pandemic going on. The finances just don't make any sense, right? Well, uh, I don't understand USC's finances, and I think few people do. And they have plenty of donors that have paid plenty of checks over the years, and they scream poor, but USC in the meantime is being built up like every time I drive by it, there's a new building or something being donated, and we know the endowment is in the billions. So I never understand what their finances are, so I wouldn't venture to guess that. I agree with you. I think it's going to be awful hard unless you have some kind of full-on meltdown or player rebellion to be fired this year as a college football coach. And frankly, I think over the years at USC that the leadership, Mike Moan, the new AD, who unlike other ADs in our past that has AD experience (laughs) and kind of had done the job before. And so a lot of people were surprised when he to keep Clay Helton kind of seemed like he was hired to get his own guy in there. And then that didn't happen. And then everybody pointed fingers to the president, Carol Fult, and said, well, you know, she's been charmed by Clay Helton and how kind and caring he is. And that's why he was kept. So 
it does seem that Bone is kind of taken over with the coordinator hires and Harold and Orlando sort of work for him. And Helton is kind of a guy who is an administrative piece, so to speak. And I mean, he calls the guy Coach Bone and Coach Folt. I mean, he's very, <laughs> he's very inclusive with that. So I think they like having a guy that they don't have to pay $10 million a year to. And frankly, that is not going to speak up when there is a pandemic going on and other power five blue blood coaches, whether you agree or not, are standing up and fighting for their players and trying to get them on the field. Ryan Day, Harbaugh, Dabo, Saban, you know, all those different things are happening. And the blue blood on the West Coast is waiting for the players to write a letter. You know, it, it feels different, right? And I think that's a product of him sort of being a piece of the bureaucracy that's developed at USC. And if they can go undefeated with that, they are super happy because they get to keep the playground. And I don't think anything's going to happen on that front until the future. And it'll all depend on if SC continues to win and build and get better. If they do, then he'll stick around. If they don't, then we'll see what happens there. I agree with you. You know, I don't think they want to get rid of Clay Helton. I don't think Pat Hayden wanted to get rid of Clay Helton. I don't think Lynn Swan wanted to get rid of Clay Helton. <laughs> Lynn Swan gave him the extension, which is why he's still around. Right. And Mike Bone didn't really want to get rid of Clay Helton unless he really did, which, you know, we've all heard the rumors that he really did. And then they told him he couldn't. And then they made a deal about the coordinators. But, you know, all that stuff is inside baseball and, and a lot of hearsay for the most part. It's a situation that has really changed, though, from what we thought USC football was building to be right before the sanctions came down under Pete Carroll. Yeah, it's a different situation now. And again, no one disputes the fact that Clay Helton's a really good guy. The players like him. And so if he can win games, he will stick around. It's just a matter of how many games can he win? Can he take USC back to an elite level? So that's something for the future. It's not going to get determined this year for sure in a crazy 2020 season that's shortened by a coronavirus pandemic. So We'll see what happens there. Again, you are listening to the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today is the former Trojan running back and now broadcaster extraordinaire Petros Papadakis. If you enjoy listening, you can always subscribe and rate the show on all of your favorite podcast directories, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or more. You can also go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast. For me, I'm on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Petros, anything you want to say to the fans out there about where to catch up with you? Oh, no, they'll find me. <laughs> I, mean, I, have, I mean, I do a lot of talking all day. You know, if you were me, you'd feel overexposed. <laughs> they'll hear me do the game on Sunday because the USC uh, Washington State game we're going to broadcast on Fox Sports 1. So I haven't had my meetings yet. I mean, I had them with Washington State already, but uh, we're not having our meetings with the USC. You know, and obviously everything's done by Zoom, and we're going to do that Saturday. And then the game will be uh, Sunday. We're calling a 4.30 kick. It's changed already. So they can catch up with me there and our play-by-play -play man, Alex Faust, 
and we'll be calling the game, which is always interesting for me because I used to call a lot of USC games on national TV when I was really young, when I was a young broadcaster. And then around 2013, I think it was the last game I did. And then there was a seven-year gap or maybe four or five-year gap. I did a game two years ago. I did a game last year. And then this is the USC game I've been uh, assigned this year. So we'll see how it goes. I'm looking forward to it. I think Washington State is a lot different than what people remember. They haven't played in a while. I know they lost to Oregon. I did their first game when they beat an Oregon State team that's turned out to be pretty formidable, especially offensively. So Washington State's defense has changed a lot. And that'll be really interesting to see how USC attacks it because they're kind of a four-down team now. And they have the mentality, sort of a Wyoming football team defensively, which comes from the North Dakota State kind of line. This guy, Jake Dickert, is a hell of a coach, the new D coordinator at Wazoo. And they're undermanned always, you know, especially when facing USC. But he did some interesting things against Oregon State and tripped up with what is a very good offense. And they didn't get going until the second half. So it'll be really interesting to see how he attacks all these one-on-one matchups with guys like Drake London and Amon Ra and, and the different guys USC throws at a defense. So let's get into it with this game. Like you said, Sunday, 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. It's going to be Alex Faust and Petros Papadakis on the call on FS1, also on the radio Trojan Radio Network, KABC 790 AM, the flagship. Again, Washington State, like I mentioned, has missed the last two weeks because of COVID issues within their program. They have the win against Oregon State in the season opener. Then they lost against Oregon, but they didn't get to play at Stanford or against Washington in the Apple Cup because of the COVID issues. They have the new head coach, of course, Nick Rolovich, in his first year in the Palouse after having a fairly successful run at Hawaii, his alma mater. He was named the coach in January after Mike Leach took the Mississippi State job, of course. And USC has dominated the series all time. And in the last game, a couple years back at the Coliseum, SC had one of those crazy Friday night Pac-12 after dark games, a 39-36 win that they had to come back from a 30-17 deficit in the second half. To do it, JT Daniels was the quarterback then. He had a couple of long TD passes to Michael Pittman Jr. and Amon Ross St. Brown in that game. But Gardner Minshew was the quarterback for Wazoo that year. They got the lead back in the fourth quarter. And then Vivai Malapai scored a TD to give USC back the lead. And as Wazoo was driving for what he thought was going to be possibly a game-winning TD, Mike Leach all of a sudden got really conservative and tried to settle for a game-tying field goal, which USC blocked to escape with the win in that one. And interestingly, it's only going to be the fifth time ever for SC to play a game on Sunday. The previous four were all season openers. The 1993 Disneyland Pigskin Classic, which was John Robinson's first game as head coach in his second tenure at USC, and it did not go well. 31-9 defeat against the North Carolina Tar Heels in Anaheim. Then there was a 1996 kickoff classic, which I remember, unfortunately, because that was during my days as a student. 24-7 loss when SC was ranked number 7 in the country against a number 11 
Penn State team, still have the nightmares of Curtis Enos running all over the Trojans that day for 241 yards and three TDs in his first career start. And then the last two times, you were actually a player on the team. The 1998 Pigskin Classic when USC defeated Purdue 27-17 in Drew Brees' first career start for the Boilermakers. You had eight carries and 22 yards and a touchdown in that one. And then the 2000 kickoff classic in the old Giant Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. A 29-5 win. Revenge over Penn State in that one. Troy Polamalu returned an interception for a touchdown there. Sultan McCullough had a big day on the ground at 128 yards. And once again, Petros, the big 11 carries, 29 yards, and another touchdown. What do you remember about those two games playing on a Sunday? I remember both those games very vividly and the North Carolina kickoff classic because that was my brother's first game ever as a Trojan, as a true freshman, and J-Rob's first game the second time around against North Carolina Anaheim Stadium in that kickoff classic with Mike Salmon and Jason Seahorn running around and the Curtis Enos game because my brother got run over by Curtis Enos on more than one occasion. (laughs) So I remember those games and then 98 was Paul Hackett's first game. It's the hottest game on the field at the Coliseum in recorded history, like 120 degrees. And like you said, it was Drew Brees' first start, and they were explosive. And they came out punching us and moving the ball offensively, and it was kind of a back-and-forth game. It was a lot of fun. I I just remember, remember taking a shot at halftime in the shoulder And when I went in the locker room, because I hurt my shoulder on like a kick return, I think the one that Chad Morton took to the house. And we were in at halftime and I went to take a shot and there was like two cheerleaders and three members of the Spirit of Troy laid out on IVs in our training room with a heat exhaustion. So it was a serial that day. And really, honestly, you know, we have a very difficult, you know, right before they changed the rules on how you could conduct your camp. We'd come out of a very three-and-a-half-week camp, which was allowed if you played one of those early kickoff classic-type games. So we were conditioned and ready to go and, frankly, very angry. So in the fourth quarter, you know, Purdue kind of wilted, even with Drew Brees, and we kind of were able to choke the life out of them. And uh, so I remember that one very vividly, and I remember feeling, you know, I scored my first touchdown in college in that game. So I just remember feeling, you know, really important (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) Then the 2000 game was also really crazy, especially personally for me, because I had come back from what was basically a career ending football injury in my foot. You know, I shattered it and had, I have a cadaver bone in there now and pins and screws. And I was recovering from that injury and not really recovered, but trying to play with it, which I did in 2000. And that was my first game back, and I was just flat out afraid. So (laughs) that one took a lot of courage just to go back out there for me. And I remember the kick return in particular, having to be back there on kick return and begging Malifo McKenzie to come and get the ball, even if he kicked it at me, because I I wasn't comfortable doing that. And we weren't comfortable. You know, we had freshmen guys like Kareem Kelly and Marcel Allman, but they weren't going to put them back there to return kicks in the Meadowlands, you know, the very first game of the season. So we were in a conundrum, <laughs> but uh, I do remember scoring a touchdown in that game and the plane ride home and just the joy of that. You know, those were both really special memories. Yeah. I hope we don't have to recap them in the game on Sunday because that will mean that it's probably a blowout and we're dumping out cereal. <laughs> <laughs> 
Always got to have that stuff ready just in case. Yeah. <laughs> you get it. And it's going to be the sixth time that Wazoo will play on a Sunday, but the first time since they had a 24-22 win over Houston in the Aloha Bowl in 1988, mm. a bowl game that no longer exists. I love it. So that's how long since they've played on a Sunday. So let's talk about some of the players we should be looking at on Washington State. They've got a true freshman quarterback out of Hawaii, Jaden Delora, who's come on and looked pretty good so far. And who else do you want to talk about on the Washington State offense? Well, I'll tell you about Delora. It's interesting because I didn't know who he was coming into the first game of the year, which was kind of a surprise start against Oregon State. And then we were ready to tell his story by the time it kicked off. And he's from St. Louis High School, you know, same as Mariota and uh, the guy starting at Hawaii right now. And he backed up to a tongue of Aloha, too, at St. Louis High School. And he was like Mr. Hawaii guy that was probably going to go with Rolovich wherever he went. He's got a lot of courage. He's got a lot of poise for a young player. If he wants to throw it hard, he really winds up, but it comes out pretty fast. He's got really big hands, like Mark Sanchez hands. So in doing that, he kind of has great play action skills. He goes through like full motion pump fakes, which is interesting. I mean, I expect him to really develop into an interesting, good player in our league. And I love the lineage of the Polynesian quarterback in our conference, especially at Wazoo, because of Jack Thompson, the throwing Samoan, who was a Washington State quarterback and just a great player. So Delora carries on a great tradition, and he can run. And I know he's champing at the bit to get back because he was out with COVID in a game that I was supposed to call that was canceled against Stanford. So looks like Max Borgie is maybe out, probably not going to play. They're excellent running back out of Colorado, who reminds a lot of people of Christian McCaffrey, and not just because he's a white guy, but because he's really nifty with the ball, especially in the catching game. And I think he's going to play a couple more years for Rolovich, and I think he'll make some real big noise in this offense in the future. But they have a transfer, Dion McIntosh, who's really good, kid out of Florida who's been really, really consistent. The thing you'll see that's different for the Washington State offense is they still run like a run and shoot, but it's not an air raid. And the difference there is that they leave the backs in every once in a while to pick up blitz, which means the quarterback is more protected and he's able to step up and, and make things happen and he doesn't get hit as much. And it's just not a free-for-all every time you snap the ball as far as everybody going in every which direction to spread the defense. They're a little bit more conservative in that way. But they still like to throw the ball. They have some of the usual suspects as wide receivers, but they lost a lot on that side of the ball. But they do have a big, experienced offensive line. And like we were talking about, defensively, you know, they do look different. They're going to put four down. And those two linebackers, Justice Rogers and the one from San Diego, Jihad Woods, they're a lot more kind of disciplined linebacker type of players. You know, they don't have the see ball, hit ball mentality or uh, assignments that they had in the past. So that'll be interesting to see against uh, what Graham Harrell does offensively. You know, they could just lose one-on-one matchups down the field. And that's what happens with USC sometimes in games like this. But I expect it to be a good game. 
Yeah, that offense is going to be interesting. The run and shoot now, not the air raid that Mike Leach ran when he was up there. And we'll see those receivers that they have, Renard Bell and Travell Harris, they're small, so they're quick and small. And they've had a couple of big games so far in their first two games that they've played. And then on defense, you mentioned Jihad Woods, leading tackler on the team. And they've got the freshman safety, Aiden Hector, who was the Pac-12 freshman of the week after the game against Oregon, had four tackles, two fumble recoveries, and an interception in that game. And his dad, Zuri, was a safety for USC back in 1989 to 92. So he's got a little connection to SC there. And Basically, what does USC now have to do to get this win? For me, I think defensively, they've got to try and find some way to contain that run-and-shoot offense. And by contain, I mean not letting the guys run. The running backs, which is probably going to be McIntosh, like you mentioned. Borgie still got this back injury that he suffered during preseason camp and may not be ready to go. Just returned to practice this week. And we've already seen USC have trouble letting quarterbacks run. So we'll see what Delora can do there. And then on the other side, I think you kind of already alluded to it. They need to give Keaton Slovis time to find these receivers because I think you're exactly right. I think the receivers can win one-on-one matchups against the secondary of Wazoo. Yeah, it'll be wild. There's a guy they call an edge player in this defense, number 80, Brennan Jackson, who's a real catalyst for these guys. And he's played very well up front and he could be a very violent enemy for Slovis in the way that A.J. Epinesa was. They're really happy with a converted corner named Daniel Isom, who's a senior now on their defense, who's moved to safety. And I would expect him to come over the top on you know third down situations, stuff like that, to help out with the Drake Londons of the world. So we'll see you know, if they can keep them off schedule and get to the quarterback. We'll see what happens. But they are certainly a team with confidence. What you're looking at with this team is the same as the Arizona game, which is there isn't a player on this team. I don't believe that was not even probably not even considered to be recruited by USC. Right. So, and if you think about their head coach, like Rolovich, like this is a step up for him and a step up for what he's doing just as far as personnel and talent. That's why he came to Washington State, he told us, because he wanted to coach more talented players. And he had a lot of success at Hawaii. And that's a very difficult job to have success, even if you played there, which he did. He's an impressive guy. And I like his staff. But for all of them, it's a big step up. And this is a gigantic opportunity. But they are completely outmanned. Make no mistake about that. Which you could say the same about Arizona. And I think that's why a lot of USC fans were upset that, you know, it took a drive within the last minutes of the game to beat a team that there's not a player on that you have considered recruiting or taking into your program. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. How do you do, everyone? This is Pete Arbogast, the voice of the USC Trojans. It's actual football season in 2020. Can you believe it? Believe it. See how I weave that in there? You're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. So now it's time for the always entertaining predictions segment where we get to make our picks in a variety of things. The players that we believe in, which is essentially who the Trojan MVP will be for the game, the game score, and then a prop bet. And just to recap how it's gone so far, since I'm having rotating guests every week, so far this year, I am leading my guests for two. 
I beat Pete Arbogast two nothing and Frosty Rucker two nothing before Mike Yam got me two nothing in the Utah game. So beginning with the players we believe in, I'm gonna start it off and I am gonna pick for this one Drake London. I think he's gonna be the leading receiver on the day for the USC Trojans. So my player that I believe in against Wazoo is going to be Drake London. Petros, who do you got? Who do I believe in? We're on the Believe Podcast Network. So, oh, I, oh, okay. Well, I, uh, you know, I mean, I haven't talked to their coaches yet, you know, so it's hard to say who they're thinking of featuring because usually I get more insight. <laughs> but it's hard to bet against Drake. I think he's the best player on their offense. I think it's very telling about USC that their best player over the last few years, you know, since Pete left really has been a wide receiver, but I can't disagree with that. Either him or around the goal line, maybe Step or Vave, you know. I'm going to have to get you to pick one guy. I have to pick one guy. One guy. Okay. I'll do Step. Why not? I like a big running back. All right. Marquis Step. Are you happy with that? So the player that Petros believes in is going to be Marquis Step. And hey, if he gets into the end zone a couple times, you can easily win that one. So who gets to say that I win or lose? I mean, I don't. Well, who's the, I, who's the it, judge? listen, I'm a fair judge of. things. Oh, it's you. OK, but okay. I will let the next uh, guest. If uh, it's a close, I will let the next guest for next oh, week's sure. show decide. So my fate can be in the hands of somebody like Yogi Roth. No, thanks. <laughs> well, we'll see who the guest. Will yeah, be we, yeah, we will. Week. Now we're going to move on and pick the winner of the game and a game score. I can't and do that. You're not allowed to do that. Because no, I'm you're sorry. working the game. So I'm going to give my pick, which means I basically win this in a walkover. And just for entertainment purposes only, USC is a 13-point favorite going into this one. And I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be closer than that. I do think USC is going to pull it out, but I'm going with 34-30 USC. Are you allowed to comment on my pick? Sure. I think that's the kind of game... We're going to see, you know, I think it's a confident football team that really is relishing the opportunity, the staff too. And I think you're going to see an offense that's a lot more together and purposed than maybe any defense USC has faced thus far this year. And for the last thing, the prop bet where we just kind of pick some wild random stat that's going to happen that we feel strongly about, even if it may be an irrational pick. And of course, I call my prop bet pick Nara's No Doubter. And for this one, I see a shootout happening. So I'm going to say that both teams will go over 500 yards of total offense each. So a big offensive explosion for USC against Washington State. Both teams going over 500-plus yards in offense is Nara's no-doubter. Petros, do you have a prop bet for me, and what are you going to call it? What am I going to call it? (laughs) We'll call it Petros' pick. How about that? I'm sorry. I'd be more creative with my daughters climbing on my head. I would say that Parker Lewis can't lose. How about that? Like the great TV show. Parker Lewis will be perfect in this game. He'll be unscathed in this game by the angry Cougs. He'll stay perfect on extra points, and he'll still just have that one miss with field goals at the end of this one. How's that for a prop bet? All right. So I'll call it Petros's prop pick. There you go. Is going to be alliteration that Parker Lewis is going to be perfect kicking 
in this game. Right. There you go. All right. I can go with that. Is that benign enough for the guy calling the game? Yeah, I think that works. I don't think you can get in trouble for that. And honestly, that's a pretty good pick. He has looked really good so far, the true freshman from Arizona, kicking the ball. Yeah. For USC. So to recap, our predictions for this USC-Washington State game, the players that we believe in, I am going to go with the wide receiver, Drake London. Petros going with the running back, Marquis Stepp. For the game score, Petros not allowed to pick that since he's calling the game for FS1. So I am going to go with 34-30 USC winning a close one in a shootout. And because of that shootout, I say for Nara's no doubter that both teams are going over 500 yards of total offense in the game. And Petros's prop pick is that Parker Lewis can't lose. He will make all of his kicks during the game. So we shall see how that goes. Now, you are, of course, at a disadvantage since I get that extra pick. But if I'm wrong with it, then there will be no winner for that one. So you could still end up possibly beating me. Well, let me know. I'm hanging on to this one. <laughs> I'm going to be quite anxious. You'll be thinking about it all game, I know, while you're calling it. Well, there's no doubt about that. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the Everything USC podcast, you can catch the show wherever you get your favorite podcast. Subscribe and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and more. Or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcast. From me, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. And Petros, you're everywhere, right? Everyone can find you everywhere. I mean, you know, you just type my name into Twitter. I do the show's Twitter and my own Twitter. And then Instagram, and then the radio show, and then the challenge, and then Fox Sports West or whatever they're changing their name to. And then the games on FS1. So we're grateful to have work this time of year. There's no doubt about it. I appreciate it. Trojan fans, this is Brian Jones, college football analyst for CBS Sports. And you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. So before I let you go, Petros, I want to kind of get the insider's knowledge on what it's been like broadcasting during a pandemic. Now, obviously, there are a lot more challenges now, but before you would always travel and be on site for the games. This year, I know you've been doing some games from in a studio. Just kind of let everyone know what it's been like, what the differences are, what you've been dealing with. It's been interesting. First of all, I have been like the in-studio guy for West Coast games for Fox. So studio is all I've done. I've not been any trips whatsoever. Some of my play-by-play guys that I work with have, but I have not. So I was really trepidatious because I've been calling the games, I don't know, 2001. <laughs> you know, I've been doing games for Fox 2004. So I've always been in a booth or on the sideline, and I didn't know what it was going to be like. But after doing a couple, I feel like we got the hang of it pretty well. It's not at home now. I see some of the ESPN stuff is from home. I live in LA. I work with another LA local broadcaster, the LA Kings play-by-play guy, Alex Faust. We drive into the Fox lot after we're tested the previous day. And we call the game from a studio desk, from a series of monitors. It's kind of like 
poltergeist. You know, they put the monitor like right up in your face and you call the game that way. And the thing that really is an advantage for us, even though football is pretty complicated, you know, for like a director and producer, baseball is really complicated, you know, with all the moving parts at the same time when somebody gets a hit and rounding the bases and all that. And they did that all summer long in this pandemic at Fox when the MLB started. And they had all kinds of different remote broadcast combinations happening. So they did a really good job of refining it. And we have really good people. I know you know a lot of people that are production people at Fox. And they're really good at telling the stories and directing and producing games and concentrating on that game and telling that game story as best we can within the context of the network. So with that being said, you know, a lot of these places and teams, I've done them before, or I'm really interested in their history. And I don't think we lose a lot there. Most of the people I talk to think we are there. We obviously don't act like we are, but that's kind of an interesting part of it. You know, the crowd noise, different stuff with the sound mixes, you know, it's always different, you know, for every game and you get used to that. The one thing just as a football analyst, and if you're really familiar with my work, you know, I don't really try to X's and O's anybody to death or use a bunch of wacky terminology to seem like a guy that really understands or knows the game. You know, I try to keep it pretty full, but it is kind of hard to not see the sidelines and the personnel groups that are getting ready. Cause that's like when you analyze a football game and the play-by-play guys talking, sometimes you can stay ahead just kind of by watching the personnel groups on the sideline and see how the coaches are interacting and sort of get the story there. And I don't really have a camera on the sideline. So that's one thing that we don't have. But if that just means I talk a little less, nobody's losing anything. People are probably gaining in that regard. Then. <laughs> I know it's got to be interesting calling games from a studio. I know I've done it in the past. Back in my play-by-play days for the Big Ten Network, I was calling water polo from inside basically a closet off of monitors. And it made a big difference when I actually did a game live in person because you do get to see more of the surroundings and see what's going on with what the coaches are doing and things like that. So I totally know where you're coming from there. Now... Do you think any of the things that have been done or implemented, the changes or innovations that have been put in because of the pandemic, are any of these things going to stick around even after we hopefully get back to some kind of normal? I'm not sure. You know, it just depends on what the networks feel like they can do. I mean, we are putting a lot of games on at Fox, more games than we've ever put on before. And I think for a lot of reasons, but One of them is we've added the Mountain West, which I've really enjoyed calling those games when we do. So I'm not sure if those will ever be completely remote games ever again, but I have no idea. You know, that's way beyond my pay grade. They tell me to call a game. I prepare for it and I go and call it, you know, whether it's my alma mater or the New Mexico Lobos. And we are going to look forward to hearing you on the call for FS1 along with Alex Faust on Sunday, starting at 4.30, USC against Washington State. It's going to be interesting in so many ways. And Petros, thank you so much for joining me on the show today for the Everything USC podcast. 
It's my pleasure. I've been doing most of it with my daughter climbing on my head and hissing in my ear. So I hope that it sounded okay. <laughs> you're a professional. Wouldn't have even known oh, that your daughter God. was climbing all over you. There's a couple times where I was like, get, you, get out of here. You're... And she's just, she has no respect for me. Just zero. Wow. Say something into the mic. Prove that you're here. Oh, now, now she's, she's climbing. Quiet. Right. Yeah, no, I've gone crazy. I'm just talking to myself. That's <laughs> I have an imaginary friend. Well, you're going to have a lot of imaginary USC friends listening <laughs> in on Sunday. Not many. <laughs> so for my guest today, Petros Papadakis, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 17 of the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and so much more. We believe in our teams do you believe? And like I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.